be beneficial uh, information, both uh, things, if you happen to listen to both. But I, I want to encourage you this because one of the things when I was being questioned by Chad regard, regarding uh, pastoral counsel, he mentioned that that's probably one of the things or the thing I hear about most when I counsel me, perhaps, is dealing with people with regard to depression and anxiety. And surprisingly, it's not even close to the top. The main thing I deal with as a pastor when it comes to counseling uh, is marital issues. Steve, would that go for you as well? By far, huh? And marital issues can cause depression and anxiety, so sometimes they're related, okay? Uh, so maybe, maybe Chad had a point there, actually, when we think about it. But uh, our experience for so many Christians in their Christian walk is a lot of joy, even as I see a lot of laughter and joy right now. At the same time, all of us will have times where we go through seasons, amen? Seasons, and you'll have uh, anxiety at times. You'll have depression at times. That is part of also the uh, trials that we face as Christians. And perhaps I don't see many people in, in regard to counseling on that issue, and I have definitely, sometimes very acutely, so have helped people through anxiety and depression. It's something that does come up from time to time. But I think sometimes what happens is it's a window, people deal with it, and then they overcome it. If they don't overcome it, it becomes more acute. Then I typically will see them. Uh, but each and every one of us go through bouts of that. And, and one of the things I love about this fellowship is people are very real. A lot of love, a lot of joy here, but also people are real. I see people in tears praying with each other, and we pray with each other, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And we're brothers and sisters, amen? And when we're amongst our brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, we need to be able to bear each other's burdens, the Bible says. And the Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that we love one another, amen, as Christ loved us. And that we love God with the whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we bear one another's burdens and that we're there for each other. But I want to talk about depression and anxiety a bit because you're all going to run into it at times. And sometimes it will be something that's not so hard to overcome, perhaps. Other times, it'll be something that's very hard to overcome. Sometimes it'll be very obvious what you're going through and the source of why you have some anxiety and why you may even have some depression. Anxiety and depression aren't always the same, but anxiety often leads to depression. You can be anxious, and, and if you continue to be anxious, it can have an effect on you where you start to feel depressed. And sometimes the answers are very obvious. Sometimes the questions as to the source of anxiety or depression are not always obvious. So I'll give you a couple cases. One that's very obvious, what's going on with a man who has a lot of anxiety and depression and how he could have had answers to his problem. And another man where he had no idea why he was so, you know, <laughs> going through such a severe trial. And the answer was the same for both of them as far as we cannot always put our finger on the reason why Amen? We're going through something. But we can always put our finger on the one who has the answers. Amen? The one who heals us. Amen? We can always put our faith and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ who heals us. Amen? That's the good news as a Christian. We always have the answer if we will but seek him. Now the first guy I want to look at, I'm tempted to I would say gentleman, but he wasn't a gentleman, uh, was Cain. The book of beginnings, Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. If you could turn there, that would be awesome. By the way, it's good to see the fellowship somewhat packed tonight, a little bit, you know, ton of people here actually, uh, after this COVID-19 deal and in the midst of it. I think when the restrictions tend to go down a little bit on the mask, more people tend to show up. But don't let a stupid mask keep you from getting excited about Jesus and being in fellowship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife, that would be Adam, had his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit 
of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, not just angry, he became very angry. He was really ticked off and his countenance fell. And that's the Bible way of saying he became very depressed, depressed, visibly depressed, visibly full of anger uh, and very sad. And the Lord said to Cain, verse six, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? And I love that. You know, it's funny because psychologists will sit people on a couch and they'll ask them questions. And the problem with so much of this humanistic psychology is they don't really know the answers. And, the, and, the man, and humanity is very deep. And the Bible says man has a sin problem. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, who could know it? And that we're beyond cure from a humanistic standpoint. Because the province of God is the soul. The word psychology comes from the word suke in the Greek, which is the New Testament word for soul. And that's God's providence. And when you start looking at a lot of the humanistic psychology in the past, whether it's from Freud or Carl Jung or Maslow or Rogers, it's all over the place. And there's hundreds of different therapies as to help you, how to help you. Everything from making a replica of your spouse and giving you a club to beat that spouse until, you know, you can, so you can, you know, just, I don't know, man. It's like giving a person that's struggling eating more, more, more and more ice cream. You know, I don't know about, about that. Or they could stick you in a giant, a giant crib and give you a huge bottle so you can pretend you're a baby again and go back into your childhood. It's sad, actually, because people pay all kinds of money for that stuff. And the answers are in Christ, Amen. The Bible says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen? The Bible says that God has given us the spirit of truth and that he is our counselor. Amen? The Bible says of God's word that it is more than sufficient. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the scriptures say that all scripture has been inspired by God. Amen? And it says it's given for doctrine, teaching, reproof to expose the reality, what reality is and how it relate to reality, and it's given for uh, correction. How many need to be corrected when we're off in the wrong path? His word brings correction. How many have been corrected by God's word over and over again? And then it says, and for training in righteousness. How many need training in righteousness? The right way to walk, amen? So that the man of God will be complete. Complete by God's word, amen? You don't need psychotherapy to be complete. Do you think Paul was like looking for a psychotherapist and he could only make it with a psychotherapist or Peter? Yes or no? No, man. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's first century. That's because God's the one that's given us this book. And his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing, dividing bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Human extic words can't do that. And the thing about that's wrong with so much, you know, psychology that's out there is that they don't know our origins, right? They don't know what we're supposed to look like. And I often use the example of a mirror. We are created in God's image, amen? amen. And if you've been duped, duped into thinking that you came from a monkey, well, and you don't even have any history really understanding what we're about, you don't understand that we're made in God's image and what we're supposed to look like. So when your life is broken and shattered like a mirror, a mirror is created to be in the image of what? The maker is supposed to reflect your image, amen? amen? Now, if a mirror falls off the wall and breaks in a thousand pieces and that mirror goes around trying to fix itself, it's not going to know what it's supposed to look like until it's fine-tuned to reflect its maker. So if you go to the world and say, hey, help me fix me, they don't know what you're supposed to look like. The Bible says that we've been fallen. We're fallen as human beings. We've become depraved. The Bible says God created us upright, but man has sought out his own schemes. And we fell, it says, that we're broken spiritually. And God sent his son to forgive us, amen, amen. and sent the power of his spirit and the power of his word to remake us into the image of God. And that the, the power of the Holy Spirit and his word to transform us. And it says we're being transformed into the same image and we're going from glory to glory. 
I love that, man. From glory to glory. It's the word that we get metamorphosis from when you look at the Greek, the Greek there in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where by the Spirit of God, we're being transformed by, from glory to glory. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the gospel of Christ, and a lot of different means that God uses to transform us. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our minds are renewed. And it says in Colossians and Ephesians that we're being recreated in the image of Christ according to holiness and truth. In other words, according to righteous living and according to God's word. Because Satan's the father of lies and people don't know God's truth. So we know where we came from. We, 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 we find out, wow, this is what we're supposed to look like. We're being remade into the image of Christ, amen, who's the, who's the exact image of the Father, it says, exact representation of his person. So you should rejoice as a Christian that you don't have this spiritual amnesia. Did you guys ever watch the movie Born Identity? Anybody see that movie? With, with uh, who is that guy? Matt Damon. Don't get me on Matt Damon, okay? <laughs> but in the movie, he has no cl- not a clue what, he's supposed, what his life's about. He just realizes he has all these skills, you know, and he can use them. And he slowly discovers where he came from and he finds out it's a bad deal. Well, guess what? We are, should be, be so, so thankful as a Christian. You know who made you. You know what you're supposed to look like. But the really awesome thing is we also know our future, amen? And the scriptures say when Christ comes, we'll be radically transformed and conformed to his image and we'll be glorified and we'll look like him. It says we do not yet know what we shall appear, but when he appears, we shall be like him, Amen. And he that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So you have a goal to become more like Jesus. And that famous verse that everybody loves, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, probably the second most popular after John 3, 16, Romans 8, 28. For we know that God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are the call according to his purpose. He works everything for the what? For the good of those who love him and are the call according to his purpose. And we just think that means everything we do is going to work out for the good. What it means is the very next verse. For whom he foreknew, he knows, he says, those who love him are known of him, are known by him. He knows who is going to respond to his gospel. He predestines to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, he knows who's going to respond to him and seek him, and he's going to make us like Jesus. And that means everything you go through, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, if you love him through it, he'll use it to make you look more like Jesus in the end. Amen? And eventually you'll be glorified. And that means if your highest goal is to fulfill the will of God, what's the will of God in my life? I wish I knew God's will. I know his will for you, that you would look like Jesus. He's the firstborn of many brethren, and we're, we, all Christians will look like him in the end. You're going to look like, he's, in the, he's the exact representation of the person of God. He's the image of God. The Greek word is icon. You heard the word icons today, right? Well, the word icon, an icon was used of the image of Caesar on the coin. Well, you see Jesus. He said, if you see me, you see the Father. Amen? Amen. So he wants you to look like your creator, minus you creating the universe, minus you being omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient, minus you being God. But the communicable, we call them in theology, there's the incommunicable attributes. You know what the attributes are? Attributes are God or his his attributes, you know, his immortality, you know, his omniscience, his omnipresence, amen? Now listen, there's communicable attributes and there's incommunicable attributes. The, the incommunicable attributes are attributes that God does not communicate to us because we will never be God. Go ahead and read, read Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last two ch- chapters of the book of Revelation, last two chapters of the Bible, and you'll see in the eternal state it's God with men, not God with other gods. Because only one person could ever be God. Because only one person is the un, only one being, I should say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, can be the uncreated creator of all things. Amen? Amen. So this nonsense, this, this ridiculous idea that, oh, we can become God. No, you can't. You didn't exist at one time. And God is, it says no one has immortality but God himself. Now, you can have eternal life by God communicating his immortality to you in the sense of sharing his life with you, but you never become self-existent. God is self-existent. All this is important because there's also God's communicable attributes. Hooray, praise God. What's that? Love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, all these beautiful things that he says, yes, I want you that I created my image to share in these things. And aren't you grateful that you can have love and joy and peace? Amen. Amen. Aren't you happy about that? Because if you don't have love, joy, and peace, man, you have all kinds of depression, all kinds of anxiety. And God wants us to share his communicable attributes. Aren't you glad we don't just use one or two verses and just tell the story? Okay, it was good. Aren't you glad you're coming to class tonight? How many, how many like want to get into God's word? How many like the idea that you come to Blessed Hope and you learn theology? Okay. And I, I, praise God, I hope you do. Because that's, I, can, I, can, I could do it no other way. I could do it no other way because I want you to know what I know. Because I know how God has blessed me, enriched me with his word and his truths have transformed my hearts and they transform the way I see him, the way I see reality, and the way I live my life. And I want my brothers and sisters to have that same joy. And it's just a matter of just digging in together. Amen? And getting into his word together. And becoming more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? And recognizing if God's for us, who could be against us? And greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. Amen? So, I praise the Lord, and praise the Lord, you're here for a reason. But guess what? Cain was not walking in God's communicable attributes, was he? He was filled with anger for a stupid reason. He hated his brother because his brother did what was right. His brother gave an animal sacrifice. How do you know that was what? Well, because God accepted it. Well, didn't Cain, I mean, Cain was a farmer, so he just brought the veg- vegetables. What's wrong with that? Because God didn't tell them to bring vegetables. God told them to bring an animal sacrifice. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That doesn't mean that God wouldn't accept in certain cases, for instance, a grain offering later in the book of Exodus. Because that grain is a picture of Christ's body. But the central sacrifice that had to do with atonement and forgiveness was a blood offering, which would pre-typologically a type of, pointing to the cross of Christ later. And how do I know that God communicated that to them? Because we read in chapter 11, and you can go to verse 4 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It's hard to miss that book. You just go to the New Testament. Just keep going right by the little books. And right before all those little books, right before James, you'll hit Hebrews, a big book, 13 chapters. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. And it says, by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And by faith, it goes on. And look at verse 6. And without faith, it's what? Impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, he must believe he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That Greek word can be translated diligently seek him as the King James has. Abel was seeking him according to faith. He was obeying what the Lord called him to. How do I know that? Because we read in the scriptures in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Cain had to have heard God's word and his instructions for him to have faith and act upon it. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He heard what God said and he obeyed. Cain was like, you know what? I'm going to follow God in my own terms, in my own way. And I'm going to do my own thing. If God doesn't like it, tough. Yeah, it's going to get real tough on you, Cain. You don't follow God on your own terms. You don't pick and choose certain verses and say, yeah, this is my life's verse, but ignore a lot of other things that the Lord says or anything the Lord says to us in the new covenant. Amen? That's a good way to get yourself in huge trouble. So I call smorgasbords Christians, man. They go like smorgasbord. It's like, I like this and I like that, but I don't want this and I don't want this and I want that. No, he's given us a steady diet. And if you don't like certain things, you better take them anyway because it's medicine for your soul. Amen? Because he wants us to be whole. If you just eat chocolate sundaes all day long for a year straight, or just try a month straight, don't try it. What's going to happen to you? You're going to be malnourished. You're going to be sick all the time. You're going to be like, it's going to be a huge problem. 
I'll tell you what, guys, we need to feed on God's word. And he was feeding on God's word, but Cain was rejecting the word of the Lord. Listen to what 1 John 3.12 says of Cain. Well, we're close to 1 John. We're by those little books, right? So take, hang a right and go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, verse 11 and 12. For this message, verse 11, 1 John 3.11, for this message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another not as Cain, who was of who? The evil one. There's a spiritual war. And by the way, that's something, again, that the humanistic psychology is clueless about, that we're in a spiritual war. They don't know about praying in the name of Jesus. They don't know about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. They don't know what it means to bring captivity, our thoughts captive of Christ. They don't know about these demonic entities. Oh, guess what? They run into them. Carl Jung ran into a bunch of them. Named one of them Philemon. It became a spirit guide. He became one of his instructors in his former psychology, which was huge out there today. A demon. He was haunted, even admitted, from childhood. He, was, he became a Gnostic, one of the leaders in psychology today, his branch of thinking. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Brothers and sisters, Cain chose to be of the evil one. You are, in, you are being tested. You'll choose to follow the word of the Lord or the word of the enemy. Jesus said, he that's not with me is what? Against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. There's not a neutral ground. Well, I want to be spiritual, but I don't want to, you know, Jesus, you know, taking up your cross, denying yourself, following him. No, I'm going to follow Buddha. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more rewarding. Buddha is dead and his molecules are in the dirt still, guys. He didn't rise again, Okay. Those who follow Buddhism typically are involved in idolatry, worshiping statues. And if I was in a bow before a statue, it wouldn't be of a really big heavy dude that was overweight that left his wife and child for spiritual enlightenment and as far as we know, never returned to them. Can you imagine me? Bye, Lisa. Bye, kids and grandkids. Bye, everybody. I'm going to go and find a new spiritual path. And oh, look, at, wasn't that wonderful what Joe did? He abandoned his family. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going off, way off, but hey, it's okay. It's in my heart. So anyway, uh, we have to keep in mind, guys, that God's given you a conscience. Conscience means with knowledge. We're born with an understanding of right and wrong to one degree or another. And if we sear your conscience, like Cain did, you become a psychopath or a sociopath. Most of you drive, right? You raise your hand, little guy. Oh, you're just fixing your mask, okay? You, it looks like you ride a pony or at least a, a horse, right? Masked man right there. But you know what? It's interesting when you think about it is how many of you, sometimes you see your light go on, that your engine is hot. Anybody raise your hand? Come on. Oh, come on. I know it's more than seven or eight or ten. Okay. And you know what? What happens if you ignore that light? What happens if you get ticked off that light, you take a hammer and just smash it out? What's going to happen? If you're running out of oil, if you're running out of water, you might have a little bit of chance with your engine. But if you're running out of oil, it's going to seize up. And that's the heart of your car, man. Your engine burns up and seizes. You might as well kiss that car goodbye. And guess what? How about with your soul? God's given you an idiot light for the soul. It's called your conscience saying, stop, you're going the wrong way. And the Bible says you can sear your conscience with a hot iron and burn it to where it doesn't work anymore. Like Jeffrey Dahmer, serial killer, caught a lot of people and cooked them and ate them. Guess what? At first he said his conscience bothered him. He killed a dog for no reason, went to church, but then he seared his conscience and went out and started eating people. Ted Bundy, these are the most famous, wicked serial killers in the world, man, in, in the United States history. Ted Bundy said he felt bad at first, but he seared his conscience. The Bible tells us to keep a good conscience and to, to keep a pure heart, pure, pure love in our hearts and a sincere faith. And those three things, it says, are the goal of the Lord's instruction through Paul in, Second Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.5. So what happens in Cain goes off the deep end and he's asked the question why is your countenance fallen 
And in the verse that we didn't read, verse 7, the Lord says, if you do what's right, the new King James says, will you not be accepted? If he would have simply walked in faith like his brother did, he would have been accepted. Did the Lord give Cain an opportunity? Yes or no? Yes. Or was Cain predestined to damnation and God didn't care about him? No, the Lord cared so much about him that he entered into a conversation with him and said, let's identify your problem. Why you are so depressed. Why you're so down. Do you realize what's going on, Cain? Do you realize why you're all, you know, spiritually dark right now and you're all depressed? And it was because we read his deeds were evil. And he hated his brother. And then he goes out and he, and the Lord even says more. Before he goes and kills his brother, the Lord warns him. Sin is crouching at the door, Cain. That's what the Lord says to him. And he uses the language of a lion being ready to strike and destroy someone. It's vivid language in the Hebrew. Sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. But he says to Cain, you must rule over it. And isn't that great? Is that God gives the opportunity to overcome sin? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Lord says, there's no temptation that's taken us, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful who with the temptation, listen to this, will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure the temptation or the testing. The Greek word for temptation there is parasmos in the New Testament. And that word can be translated trial, test, or temptation. But God gives you the way of escape so you don't have to be destroyed. You're going through something perhaps right now and being tempted. You don't have to go the wrong way. The word temptation there is parasmos, but the, way, the word escape is ekbasis in the Greek. Ek is out from. Okay, that preposition we've studied numerous times in this fellowship, ek, out from within, to emerge out from within. Ek bosses is like a mountain trail to escape a horde of soldiers that want to destroy you. God has given you against the demonic forces that are arrayed against you a mountain pass to escape to where you can get through it unscathed and still be standing in Jesus in the end. But you have to take the way of escape. What's the way of escape? The answer is not what, but who. His name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen? No one comes to the Father but through him. He's the resurrection and the life. He's always the answer. He's the one you flee from sin. You flee from temptation. You resist the devil, but you flee to Jesus when you're being tempted and you're going through testing. Are you with me? Amen. Cain's countenance was fallen because, and he was depressed because he was choosing sin and evil over the Lord and the way of the Lord. So one reason millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people have depression and anxiety in this world is because they're, re they're searing their consciences and they're rejecting the way of the Lord and they're putting themselves before the Lord and they're doing their own thing and living for themselves. And many of them are filled with resentment, anger, unforgiveness, malice toward others. And those are pills that you hate on other people. But every time you're hating on people and walking in malice and anger and, and bitterness, those are pills that you swallow that are actually poisoning you. It's a no-win situation. So I want to encourage you. Now, my point is this so far, thus far in this message, is that sometimes we can put a finger on the reason we have depression or the reason our countenances are fallen. One time at a midweek study like tonight, a couple walked into the fellowship that I'd never seen before. And my heart broke for them because they looked like they were on the verge of death. They looked like they had a child or something that died. They looked like they shared the same exact agony, the same exact condition, but it was so, their look was so morbid that they were like both gray. I'm not kidding. It was like, well, what is going on? I was like, you ever see, watch Pigpen and Charlie Brown? Is he the one with the, all the dirt around him? They walked in, I'm like, whoa, man, it's sad. What's going on with those folks, you know? And they, they look like they were like in their 40s or so. And I was like, oh, I hope, I don't know what's going on there. Well, I got a call to do some marriage counseling. And I walked in and went to the, do the marriage counseling and it was this couple. And I thought, oh, they're, are they having marriage problems? And they were having marriage problems, severe marriage problems, so much so that they didn't want to be with their spouses that went to the church with them. They're both married to someone else. And they all went to church together, but they met each other in a Bible class teaching the Bible. And they hooked up together and became an item together. And they wanted to divorce their spouses and wanted to know if I would conduct the wedding. 
or I would agree with them that they could do that. Guess what? Didn't take me long to identify why their countenances were fallen and why there was a bunch of dirt swirling around them. And my heart broke, broke for them. So I said, okay, well, this is how much I charge to do a wedding. No. You know, that's not me. We don't even charge to do weddings, even if you're righteous and walking with Jesus. Amen. But I said, I, I counseled them. I said, what are you, I, he had a stack of papers like yay big that he got off the internet that he felt justified why he could divorce his wife. And he wanted to divorce his wife because after all, you know, she wasn't giving him attention. And she didn't want to be married to her husband anymore because he came home from work and he was always so busy and he'd read the paper. And, and I thought, man, they're basically divorcing for the same person they're going to marry, it sounds like, in the same kind of situation or considering divorce. And I let them know you don't have biblical grounds. I told him he didn't not pick up one piece of paper because he kept pointing to it. I go, look, buddy, not one thing that said anything on those papers is going to overcome what is said here in the word. You, you need biblical grounds to divorce your wife. That means your wife is cheating on you. Your spouse is cheating on you and you have biblical grounds for divorce. Or if a non-believer has left you, that hasn't happened. I go, so don't even read anything from there. Show me in the scripture. He couldn't. And I basically let them know that they needed to return their spouses and make things right. And they couldn't be married. I couldn't, I couldn't marry them. I got a call a week later. The gentleman's like, hey, you know what? Can you give it some more thought and just possibly do it? And I was a little ticked off, I have to admit. And I said, hey, and I was nice to him. I spoke the truth and love to him. I said, hey, listen, man. I go, it's unbiblical. I could, I'm not going to marry you guys. It's wrong. But then I'm like, and I said, by the way, why in the world are you picking me? you know, of all people. And he says, because my wife knows that you're a man of the word. And she said, if I, my, my wife, I'm sorry, his girlfriend. And she says, if you can convince him and he agrees, then I'll marry you. And I said, no, that's not, it's not biblical, man. And last I heard from them, and I hope they made things right and got back with their spouses and everything. But sometimes we know why our countenances are down. And isn't that the crazy thing about sin? Sin does not bring joy, guys. It's a lie. Amen? It brings death. Learn that lesson. So it's very important that we understand that sin brings death. And with regard to Cain, he was of the evil one. And you know what? When you read through 1 John, you know what happens in 1 John and why Cain is brought up in 1 John? Because there's a lot of emphasis in 1 John about loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Cain had no love in him for his brother, so he becomes the prime example of a wicked person that doesn't walk in love. And when you fail to walk in love toward God and others, you will get depressed because you were created in God's image. And the Bible says that God is what? Love. Do you know in Islam... Muhammad, or I should say, Allah cannot be love before he ever creates anyone? Why? Because before he ever creates anything, who exists? Just who? Allah. And who's he going to love? Think about it. Who's he going to love? Who is there to love? No one. But guess what? We believe in the Trinity as Christians. The Bible reveals that God is coexisting, three persons coexisting, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, amen, all eternal, coexisting from eternity past. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a deep, abiding love for each person in the triune Godhead. So before we are ever created by God, before we are ever created in his image, before angels are created, before the universe is created, before you and I are created, God already is what? Love. Isn't that profound? God is love. In Islam, no wonder it's a religion of fear, you know. And even Muhammad didn't know if he could be saved, didn't know if he did enough good works because your good works are put on a big giant scale. And if your bad works outdo your good works, you go to hell. And Muhammad was concerned even at the end of his life. And it's even stated in the Quran that he was concerned. He wasn't sure if he would go to heaven. It, Muhammad, 
Why? Because how can God be, he didn't, know, he didn't know the nature of the one true God. And by the way, Allah is not the same as our Father in heaven, amen? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God sends his son, Muhammad, or Allah can't have a son. There's no children. And Jesus died for our sins on the cross. The Islamic Jesus is, came much later. It was a false version of Jesus made to be, you know, understood as the Jesus of the Bible, but they twist him and he didn't, never died for our sins. He's not the son of God. So with you, you need to treasure your understanding of who God is from the scripture. That we have a God who loves us. And by the way, when you read through John chapter 17, Jesus expresses in his high priestly prayer before he goes to the cross, his request is that we would know the unity that he knows with the Father and that we'd experience the unity with the Lord, not becoming part of the Trinity, but experiencing the joy of being united with the Father and with the Son by the power of his Holy Spirit and experience God's joy. So when you're doing your own thing, you were created, listen, you were created to be union with Jesus. You were created to be one with the Father. Understand that. When you do your own thing and you're in rebellion to God, you cut yourself off from the Lord, from his joy. There's no joy outside of God. There's temporal happiness. And I say, and I emphasize temporal the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. So you might go do something that's fun and you're happy based on what's happening. The word happy and happening are connected. So when you're doing something and you're like, wow, I'm happy I'm on a roller coaster, you know, until you're down there vomiting, then you're not happy, you know. Then you're going home and you're happy again because maybe you're not vomiting, you know, unless you're driving the canyon road or you get in a car accident. Oh, then you're drinking on the weekend. You're like, oh, I'm getting drunk. I'm actually... I feel good. You look like an idiot, but you feel good, you know? And then the morning you wake up, you have a hangover. You're like, why is my head hurt so bad? I'm never going to do that again. And your feelings go up and down, up and down, up and down. And this up and down scale goes like this, but it goes like this. See what I'm saying? It goes further and further down. Because the Bible says, hard is the way of the transgressor. Hard is the way of the transgressor. So sin becomes very painful in the end. And the Lord says he corrects us with built-in corrections when we backslide. Jeremiah chapter 2. Your own backslidings, he says, will correct you. And if you kick against those corrections, it's like kicking against the goads, the pricks. As the scriptures say, you kick against, the pricks are these sharp goads that they goad the oxes with, with so they would make a straight line when they plowed. And the Lord said to Paul, Saul, how long we continue to kick against the goads? And you can stay your own path, but you're going to kick and you're going to get bloody, you're going to get ugly, your life's going to ebb away, and you're going to get more and more depressed until you turn to the dust. Then you'll stand before God and give an account, be thrown in the lake of fire. Not a good deal. You want to make sure you stay, you're right with Jesus, amen? And by the way, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Why? Do you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 1? That Jesus had joy beyond everybody else, beyond all his fellows. But any other being, why? Because he's God and he became a man and the fullness of the deity dwells in him in bodily form. Mind-blowing. And so he has full joy in the Father. So when we come to Jesus, we share in his love, we share in his joy, we share in his peace, amen? Apart from him, he said you could do nothing. You know how the disciples were when Jesus was around? Excited, full of life, you know, doing miracles, walking with him in power. What happened when they fell away? They're shivering behind the walls. They're depressed because they lost their way. Then when the resurrected Christ appeared to them, oh, happy day, man. They were full of love and joy again, preaching the gospel fearlessly. Amen? Amen? The answers are at the cross, bro, brothers and sisters. Why? Because guess what? All of us have sinned. Right? And if you're not walking with the Lord, guess what? You are under the power of sin. And you are alienated from God. You're separated from Him. He says your sins have caused a separation between you and me. 
But he says, hands not short, whereby he, he, he's not, he, is, he's, he is able to grab a hold of us through the gospel, through Christ. But guess what? All the answers are always at the cross. The answer for your forgiveness is at the cross. Because guess what? You could do one of two things. You could pay for your own sins, right? That's what most of the world does. The Bible says all of sin and come short of God's glory, amen? amen? But, and the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Death, eternal separation from God. But it says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. So Christ, God becomes a man in the person of Christ to pay for our sins, why? Why? We call that the atonement, Jesus' death on the cross. Say that word if you will, atonement. It's a great word, man. Jesus atoned for our sins. He took the penalty that we deserve. Now understand this. You could never atone for your own sins and end up being right with God. Why? Because we would be eternally separated from God. If you were to make yourself right with God, guess what? You owe him a lot of good things, a lot of righteousness that you haven't given him and I haven't given him because of our sin. I, you have to pay all that back. You could never pay that all back. Because guess what? What are you supposed to be doing in the meantime while you're paying that righteousness back? Living righteously. <laughs> Any righteous thing you do is what you're supposed to be doing. It's just your duty. So you can never all of a sudden do all these righteous things. And by the way, we're sinners separated from God. You could never manufacture a righteous heart whereby you are perfect. Amen? You could never make it right with God. I love how Jesus described the man that was in great debt and he said he owed the king 10, or the master, 10,000 talents. Why 10,000 talents? Because 10,000 is the biggest number they could write in the Greek language. And a talent was the biggest numerical denomination of money. Took the biggest number and the biggest denomination and Jesus put them together because he took the biggest thing they could conceive of. 10,000 talents. And he was forgiven. That's why the Bible says that nobody can redeem his brother. I can't save you. You can't save me because it says the soul is very costly. That's why God had to become a man, to pay for our sins. That's why there had to be an atonement. And Jesus take the wrath that we deserve because guess what? We owe God righteousness, but guess what God owes us? Punishment. Because he's a righteous judge, right? Amen? What happens when you see all these people doing all kinds of evil and killing people and they get away with it? Do you think that's right, righteous? Yes or no? No, God would be unrighteous if sin wasn't punished. He owes us wrath because he's a good God. We owe him righteousness. How in the world could we possibly say we can't unless God in his wisdom becomes a man? Amen. Amen. And he is punished in our place and pays the fine. Because you could pay fines for people. In God's cosmic justice, he can pay his own fine. He comes, or our fine, he comes and pays our fine. So his wrath is satisfied, but also the righteousness that we owe him, guess what? That's given by Christ because he was perfectly righteous and holy when he died in our place, amen? He was able to give perfect righteousness to our Father in heaven. Are you with me tonight? The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And the answer to being Cain and being, uh, having a life full of sin is coming to repent and say, God, have mercy on me. I repent of my sins. And guess what? When you accept what Jesus did on the cross and his death for your sins and his resurrection, where he came to life again and overcame the grave, guess what you experience? When you come to faith in Christ, you experience what we call ju justification. Say justification. You know what justification means? It means you've been made right with God. He's declared you forgiven. He's declared you righteous. But wait a minute, I'm not righteous. I know I'm just a, you know, I can be a jerk sometimes. So I mean, I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting him, but I'm not perfect. That's okay. If you're truly, trolling, if you're truly following Jesus sincerely, right? And you're going out and you're in the faith seeking him. Guess what? If you're in the faith, you've been declared righteous. So positionally speaking, listen carefully, your position before God is that you've been declared righteous. Do you understand that? Now on a practical level, you're not perfect. The Bible says we all still stumble in many ways, James 3, 2. But you begin to grow in him and become more and more like Christ if you're truly in the faith. Amen? 
You're pursuing him. So you have been declared righteous. So when you first come to Jesus, listen, you experience justification. You're declared righteous. Amen? And guess what happens when you put your faith in Christ and you've been declared righteous? righteous, Guess what happens in your heart? You experience another thing. We call it regeneration. Say it with me, please. The word regeneration. Say regeneration. Remember, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious guy, he said, you need to be born again. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Amen? You have to be born again. That's what regeneration is. Because guess what? We're separated from God because of our sin. Amen? God sends his son. Jesus dies in our place so we can be forgiven, declared righteous justification. Now guess what? We are born again. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We have the life of God in us. We're born again of regeneration. Amen? You with me? So if you're a Christian, you've been justified and you've been regenerated. Amen? And the moment that you're justified and you're born again, guess what happens? You begin to experience sanctification. Say the word sanctification with me. Sanctification. What's sanctification? It comes from the Greek word hagias. Hagias is the word holy, holiness, sanctification. Sanctification is that process whereby we become separated from that which is evil. And we become more and more holy. More and more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. More and more transformed into his image. More and more consecrated to his will. More and more surrendered to him. We become more and more righteous on a practical level. So guess what? That means, the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many of you know... How many of you have been justified? How many of you put your faith in Jesus and you've been declared righteous by God? Hopefully all of you. If you haven't, turn to Jesus now. If you've been justified, you've also been regenerated. Amen? God lives in you. Amen? You've been born again. But if you have become justified and regenerated, guess what else has begun in your life? Sanctification. Whereby you are becoming more and more holy. And there's many means by which God sanctifies us. Jesus says, thy word, sanctify them, Father, by thy truth. His word sanctifies us. The Bible says over and over again, he sanctifies us by the Holy Spirit. Amen. God uses different things to make us more like Jesus. Amen. And guess what else you've experienced? And praise God, this is exciting. You've experienced first, starts with J. What's that word? Justification. If you've been justified, you've always so experienced, starts with an R. What? Regeneration. If you've been regenerated, you've also experienced what? And you're experiencing now what? Starts with an S. Sanctification. Guess what else you're experiencing? It starts with an R. Reconciliation. Amen? That means we were separate from God, amen, because of our sin. But we've come to him now through repentant faith, and that gap has been bridged through Jesus on the cross, and now we're reconciled to God, and we have a walk with him now, amen? Jesus is with us. He lives in us, amen? What a beautiful reality. All because of the first thing I mentioned, the atonement. What he did for us on the cross is death and then his burial and his glorious resurrection. So all this is so exciting because guess what? Now guess what we're looking forward to now? Starts with the G. Come on now. What is that, Jimmy? Glorification. glorification. We go from glory to glory because he continues to sanctify us. And by the way, if you're not justified, you're doomed. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. But if he draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. Amen. Okay, if you're not regenerated, well, you need to be born again. You won't enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. You're doomed. If you're not being sanctified and set apart and truly being made holy, you're doomed too because the Bible says without holiness or without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. It says, pursue peace and the sanctification. Pursue, something you pursue. Without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. But guess what, guys? Glorification. You're being made more and more like Jesus. And guess what glorification is? Is when Jesus Christ returns at his second coming, guess what? We are made to be like him. You can look at the coolest cars. You can look at the coolest jets. The coolest things that are made on earth. And guess what? Somebody would trade every car, every jet on earth in for the new body that you're going to have. When Jesus comes, you'll be caught up to meet him in the air. You'll fly back with him. You'll be like him. You'll be immortal, imperishable. Amen? Amen. Mind-boggling. We're looking forward to that day. Glorification is coming. 
all these prophecies. See, prophecies fulfilled right now. Ethnic group against ethnic group, Jesus said, would take place. Lawlessness would increase. Love many would grow cold. There'd be plagues. All kinds of stuff. You just look around. Everybody's, oh, world's getting better. I'm like, mm-mm, it's going to go haywire. And it is. It's going to get worse, too. These are birth pains. It's critical that we understand the answers at the cross. The answers in the gospel. What we're talking about here is radical transformation that happens through coming in contact with Jesus and coming into union with him through faith and then he radically transforms you. But if we get our eyes off of Jesus and we get our eyes off of the very things I'm talking about now and we get involved in a life of sin, guess what? We're gonna grieve the Holy Spirit and when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're not gonna experience the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. There it is. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Gentleness, all these wonderful things. And so you want to walk with him. And you know what's really cool? I love the cross. And we talk about the cross. We're not talking, we're talking about what Jesus did on the cross. When we talk about the cross, we're talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen? And the Bible words about enemies of the cross. I love the cross. I love what Jesus did. And you know what blows me away? Is it's at the cross and through looking at, to Jesus and what he did that we experience salvation. Amen? But guess what? We also experience a radical teaching in Jesus' ethics. What do I mean? Because the same cross that teaches us what Jesus did for us teaches us how to live. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.15. Listen to this. And he died for all. Aren't you glad he died for all? Aren't you glad he didn't just die for the small? You know, uh, who is it? Who's the guy that climbed the tree? Zacchaeus, right? Or the big, or those who are brown, but not those who are black or white. He, he died for all of us. It says he died for all, not just for the Calvinists, right? He died for all that those, now listen, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, catch that? But for him who died for them and was raised again. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know love, that God gave his son for us. So we learn what love is at the cross. And we learn that we should no longer live for ourselves because he who is rich became poor and died for us so we could have life. So what does a cross teach you? It teaches you the way of salvation, but also teaches you how to live your life. That you should not live a selfish life. And if you live a selfish life, I can guarantee you, if you're a selfish person and you're thinking all about me and what can I get out of life and how can I live my life, you're going to end up depressed. You're going to end up full of anxiety. Because you were not meant to be a leech. I tell people when, they get, when I do premarital counseling, don't be a leech. Don't marry this person because of what you can get from this person. Because what's going to do? And if you get two people together and they're just going to get from each other what they want, it's like two leeches. Think of two fleas sucking on each other to get the blood out of each other. It's going to be miserable existence. Right? It's going to be like, that's sick, sad, wow. And that's what happens because a leech, it says in the Bible, is like the person who says, more, more, they can never get enough. You have to live for the Lord. You have to live the way of the cross. You have to let the cross instruct you. In fact, listen to what it says in Philippians about the cross and how the cross not only redeems us, but it, goes, it talks about how it teaches us how to live. Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn there. Philippians chapter 2. You know, and as you're turning there, I'm going to say something to you. I was uh, going to go through the obvious reasons depression can come times and then the mysterious reasons. The mysterious reasons, as you can tell, will be next Wednesday, okay? Because we're like 28 after on that clock, and that's the one I understand is hooked up to the satellite. Now we've got a minute or two left. Philippians chapter 2, do nothing, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Was Cain doing that with Abel? No. What if he would have done that? You would have a different story with regard to Cain's life. Verse four, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for what? The interest of others. Now he's gonna to point to the cross as to teach us the Jesus ethic. This, the cross teaches us how to live, what Jesus did on the cross. Verse five, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to his place in heaven, but he became a man, right? But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of, a man, of man, he became the God-man. 
Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Brothers and sisters, the way up is, is down. It's humbling yourself. Jesus gave an example. He washed, washed the disciples' feet, and he's God. He became man and washed their feet. He says, I leave you an example. Happy are you if you do likewise. You want to be happy? Follow Jesus, man. And then, guess what? It's way down. Humble, humility. God gives grace to humble, but he resists the proud. Humble yourself, it says, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. Listen to what it says in verse 9. For this reason also, God highly what? Exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is what? Above every name. No one stooped lower to help people than Jesus. And no name is higher. And when you follow Jesus, you find forgiveness. Amen. You find justification. You find regeneration. Amen. You find sanctification. You find uh, reconciliation. You become one with the Lord, God. And ultimately, you'll find glorification. In the midst of that, you follow Jesus' example and you become more like him. Amen. We talked about that at the beginning, right? What's our life supposed to look like, Jesus? What did he do? He was rich, he became poor, he left heaven. We're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to love one another, supposed to take care of one another, supposed to lead each other in the way of Jesus. The greatest two commandments, Jesus said, are love the Lord your God, your whole, what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine if Cain did that? Okay, I'll bring an animal sacrifice. Sure, you made me, gave me life. Of course, Yahweh. Oh, Abel, I love Abel, man. He's my brother. I love him as I love myself. He would have been doing really well. Just follow the Lord. And follow his example, amen? And I'll tell you what. You will find, you will find that there is so much joy. First of all, when you recognize that Jesus died for you, and you recognize that you should be doomed, right there should make you joyful. Why? Because the Bible says joyful or blessed or happy is the one whose sin, who sins have not been credited to him. Amen? And guess what? Then you know what? You don't just sit there like a miser and say, yeah, I'm thankful. I guess that was pretty cool what God did for me. No, you're like, whoa, I can't believe what you did for me. Wretched man that I am, that you would come and die for me. Oh, what amazing love, man. You worship him, amen? And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So then you start to be thankful. And guess how you grow in your sanctification, you become more like Jesus? You, are, you become a thankful person, Amen. You stop moaning and whining and complaining about everything. You start saying, wow, I can't believe I'm saved. I have such an awesome God. I just want to praise him. And you begin to worship the Lord more, amen? You begin to become a person that's full of praise and be, be a thankful person, amen? Do you like to be around people that are unthankful, always complaining, always moaning? Or do you like to be around people that are thankful? Come on now. Well, guess what? No wonder, budgie, you got bummed out with your behavior. Because you want to be around thankful persons, but you're not being a thankful person. No wonder you're depressed in how you are. You'd be depressed if the person next to you all the time at work was constantly moaning and complaining. Don't be that person, man. Especially if you name the name of Jesus, amen? I just drove with my, with my wife, not with my wife. It was my 33rd anniversary the other day, last week. And we were supposed to go out and have a blast that night and have a great time. Thankfully, Lisa's back there. She's feeling great right now, but she woke up sick as a dog. And you know what happened? I said, you get up right now. This is our anniversary. You'd be thankful. No, I didn't say that. I said, what can I do for you, baby? <laughs> you know, I felt really bad for her. And you know what? Uh, I knew our plans for the night were off, and I had a busy day ahead of me. And you know what? I took off to the store to run some errands and get some things at the store. And I usually grab three things. I usually have a Bible in my office. I usually have a Bible in the car. I have bi Bibles everywhere. So I always have three things, though, that I grab. It's my wallet, my keys, and my cell phone, right? I had my keys and my cell phone, but not my wallet. I got to the store. I'm like, uh-oh looking all over the place. And I realized, man, and I tried to be efficient with my time. I'm like, I got to drive all the way back and then back again. So it's two extra drives. It's four instead of two. And all of a sudden I got ticked off at myself. I was like, man, Joe, what in the world? Usually I look, boom, boom, boom. I go one, two, three. And guess what? I didn't do that. I think Lisa was like, make sure you grab this. No. And I don't know what I decided to do. I'm not going to lose this time. You know why? I'm going to make sure I praise the Lord back to the house, back to the store. And back to the house. And I'm just going to sing worship songs and praise him and tell him how much I love him. And I make that time count. And I give thanks to the Lord. And my heart is blessed. And I have joy. Why? Because I'm so thankful that I'm saved. 
And I'm thankful that I got a good God. And I'm thankful that I have a mouth or a heart to be able to express that to him. And guess what? You have the same thing. Just start doing it. Amen? Yeah, Joe, I've repented of sin. I'm not in sin. I understand everything you're saying. I'm praising God, but I still feel depressed. And I don't understand why. Next week's study. Amen? The mysterious trials. Father God, we thank you so much for your great goodness and your